Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Basti Ecruel Dubai. We are getting there slowly but surely, no doubt about that. Racing is pretty much back in full swing and edging towards normality. More wonderful racing we've enjoyed over the weekend. Here's what's coming up through the next 90 minutes. Looking back once again at classic action over the weekend. And we start with Peaceful, who led home a 1-2-3-4 for members of the training family O'Brien. A 1-2-3 in the Royal Blue and Orange livery of Michael Tabor. She was dominant in the Irish 1000. The position where Aidan O'Brien is fully stocked, and he might have been fully stocked in the Colts equivalent as well, but he couldn't stop Siskin, who was just brilliant for Ger Lyons and Colin Keane. This was a hugely popular victory from a horse who is already at the top and could yet go further. And we are likely to find out who his next rivals will be in the Sussex Stakes when Palace Pier and Pinatubo and Wichita line up in the St James's Palace Stakes six days from now. Just one of the great highlights in what's going to be an extraordinary week at Ascot. Nick Smith will join us on the side. And the meeting gets off to a wonderful start. The King Stand is one of the Group 1 features on Tuesday. Can Batash do it at the Royal Racecourse? He hasn't been able to before in three previous visits, but there's no blue points to worry about this time. We are hopefully going to catch up live with Batash and his trainer, Charlie Hills. It worked with Cameco last week. Fingers crossed for Batash. John Gosden joins us on the line about 10.45 after he's done his 72-hour declarations for Royal Ascot. He will be talking to us 10.45 words with the champion trainer again here on Luck on Sunday. And from one end of the training experience spectrum to the other, a man who has made an incredibly bright start, Tom Clover will be joining us live from his base in Newmarket. Cannot stop training winners at the moment. And for the first time in about three months, I'm allowed somebody in the luck on Sunday studio. I'm very pleased to welcome back our old friend Lee Mottis, our senior writer from the Racing Post. Lee, how are you doing? I'm. <laughs> you, you, you do. Your voice carries beautifully. I'm doing well. Too well, some would say. No, no, beautifully. Never before has someone sat in this chair more in need of a haircut. It's a desperate. No, no, no. Hang on, you haven't been watching this program for no, the last yours, few weeks, no, have you? I, I know you've had you've had hair issues, and they have been <laughs> visualised when they've gone around social media. But I, my, I have my late mother's very thin, fine hair, which means that when it grows, it's very hard to manage. And last night we went around the supermarket and tried two new sort of hairspray products. <laughs> Um, and they haven't really worked. So it was a very stressful time leaving the house this morning with Beloved watching me saying, leave it, stop now, stop now, stop now. And I continued a bit further and it, I probably shouldn't have. It's done. fine from this vantage point. Yeah, very I, sweet of you. I, I, after the debacle of Newmarket last weekend in the force. Yeah. Nine, that was the weather. Yeah. It, weather, exactly. Yeah. Um, I 
I asked my wife if she would cut my hair, yeah. uh, which she did on yeah. Monday. I, I don't think she's done it. She's done well. Considering the uncontrollable, yeah. outrageous nature of it beforehand. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, I don't think she was delighted at the prospect of doing it, but um, anyway, here we are. Yes. We're nearly there. We're nearly out of the woods. I hope so. July the 4th, that's been the provisional date. I mean, you know, ratings, but that's good. But July the 4th is the provisional date, I think, for hairdressers to reopen. It might be a month or so before we get into hairdressers, but we're almost there. Um, you, you can't... The one thing I've, I've realised this morning is you cannot take your horse through a McDonald's drive-thru, yes. I'm told. So I don't know if anyone in Newmarket or Lambourne has been trying to do that. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah, um, they've yeah. been turned away from right. a, a McDonald's in the northwest. Good to know. Somebody tried to get a horse and carriage into the McDonald's drive-thru. Um, there's now, a, there's now a, a, I don't, I don't, wasn't it? It was a Kentucky Fried Chicken, Kentucky ah, yeah, Fried Chicken, yeah, yeah, KFC yeah, drive-through. Yeah, yeah. They were turned away on the basis that, um, on, on the basis that it wasn't a motorised vehicle. Yes. Um, they're now, I think, suing KFC or, or something similar. Yeah. Uh, for for uh, discriminating against travellers. I'll just leave that with you. You don't listen to our programme, do you? Well, no. I mean, I, no. I heard this on, on on the BBC as I came in this no, morning. Okay, okay. Yeah. So there you are. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Let's crack on, and have a look at uh, the classic action over the weekend at the Curragh. We'll start with last night's Irish 1,000 guineas, which was won by Peaceful, leading home a 1-2-3-4, as I said, for members of the O'Brien training family, with Donica O'Brien filling second, Aidan back in third, and Joseph in fourth. It was a 1-2-3 in a classic, all in the silks of Michael Tabor, who I'm sure will have taken a huge amount of pleasure from this. And this filly, Peaceful, positively ridden, looks as though she'll A, get a little bit further, Lee, but most importantly, has a lot of class. Yeah, she has. So following up Love's success in the 1000 he's at Newmarket for Bally, Doyle and Coolmore. This time we had Peaceful. Different Irish classics this year in the sense that we've had no British representation, no international representation and no Ryan Moore either because he's not been able to go across to Ireland to ride these horses. Big weekend there for, for Shamie Heffernan, Wayne Lord and they had lots of opportunities and Shamie certainly um, got nothing wrong here on Peaceful. She's a filly who was relatively lightly raced last year. A lot of Aidan's classic for these tend to have had heavy, busy, two-year-old preparations like love and plenty of racing and they thrive on it. We knew less about Peaceful going into this season, um, but I thought she produced a very strong clinical performance. She was under the whip quite early in the straight, but she kept finding, she put the race to bed very quickly. Albini, the favourite, has disappointed connections, blamed the ground. But what we ultimately had was a finish of an Irish Classic that has become the norm in terms of Irish Classic finishes with O'Brien horses sweeping the places. The difference on this occasion was it wasn't one O'Brien, it was three O'Briens with Aidan, Joseph and Donica being responsible for the first four horses home. Donica's filly ran on really well from a very unpromising position to finish second. He has got a lovely collection of horses. He has um, and he's clearly got the, the pedigree to thrive as a trainer. You have to say, there will be a lot of first season trainers looking at Donica O'Brien and thinking, I wish that was me. You know, <laughs> the horses that Donica has raced this year, they've all been owned either by Coolmore, Evie Stockwell, John Magnus' mother, or Donica's mother. Um, so although he's cleared a really good job with them, and he will do a really good job with them, he's been blessed with the material he's got to work with. I was just looking at Peaceful there and the length of time it took Shami Heffernan to pull her up. She ran on hard through the line as though she was only really getting motoring toward the end of the race. Do yeah. you see her as more of a natural Oaks type than Love, for example? Do you see them as different types of filly? I think they're both going to be better over a mile, or certainly as good over a mile. And Aidan being Aidan, 
you wouldn't be at all surprised if one of them, probably peaceful, goes to the coronation stakes on Saturday and then goes on to the Oaks. You know, in, in, in a normal year, it would be perfectly normal for an Aidan O'Brien trained filly to go to the Oaks via the Guineas and the Irish 1000 mm. Guineas, even when the Irish 1000 Guineas comes very close to Epsom. This year, I could see one of those two fillies going Guineas, British or Irish, Coronation Stakes, and then the Oaks. And I, I doubt both will go to the Oaks, um, but I think that they're both proper proper class fillies. But intriguingly, Aidan introduced the possibility of running either or b both in the Coronation Stakes at, at Royal Ascot, yeah. which, is, which is, I mean, I know we're accustomed to him tearing up the rule book, but yeah. that would be quite exciting and quite novel. Yeah, it would be. Um, I mean, the same question was asked immediately after the Irish 2000 of Joe Lyons with, with Siskin. He chose not to go down that route. But I think it's perfectly... It, it, would, it seems normal here, but of course in different jurisdictions mm. it wouldn't be unusual. You know, in, 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 in Australia they, they run the, pre, the premier trial for the VRC Oaks five days before the Oaks, the Wakeful Stakes. So what's normal for us is, what's abnormal for us is, is perfectly normal in, in other places. And if any man can get a horse to go from a classic to a group one seven days later and then a classic over half a mile further a few days later, it's Aidan O'Brien. Uh, Aidan O'Brien had a wonderful evening yesterday at the Curragh as well with four victories, including, and this was the one that put a big smile on my face, you talk about horses and trainers who tear up the rule book. This is Magic Wand, who's been to just about every country there is to race over the last 12 months, and it was a deserved stakes victory for her. She won down in Australia, but she has raced everywhere. And it was number four for Shami Heffernan on the yeah. night as well. And the, the decisions this year haven't always gone Shami's way because Aidan's been so stocked in so many of these races, but it was good to see him winning so many races and wonderful to see her taking this with the authority that we, we expected. Yeah, I mean, on, on Shami first, it's going to be a big period for him. He's gained one classic already. And as I say, for as long as Ryan Moore realistically can't come to ride in Ireland because he would have to spend two weeks in quarantine on arrival, Wayne Lord and, and Shami Heffernan will pick up some fantastic chances. That You'd imagine that would extend until at least Irish Derby weekend because the Irish government's um, next, uh, next phase of, of unlocking uh, the country following coronavirus doesn't come until after that. In terms of the horse, Magic One, what a fantastic horse. You say she mm. won a Group One in, in Melbourne, the McKinnon Stakes, but she didn't only do that. She won that McKinnon Stakes four days after racing the Melbourne Cup over two miles. She's just the hardiest, stoutest filly, but she's got plenty of class as well. And she's still at the moment, I think, in the Prince of Wales Stakes. And you wouldn't be so that Although that would be no, she's the Prince of Wales. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday isn't it? so she'd have to morning. be declaring this morning. Yeah. They'd have to declare this morning if they want to keep her in the Prince of Wales estate. So we'll keep an eye on the de decks in, in 20 minutes to see whether she's in with uh, with Magical and and Co. In there in Japan, of course, from the from the same stable. Friday evening saw Siskin um, defy the Valley Doyle Battalions in dramatic and sensational fashion yeah. in in the Irish 2000. He's clearly a, a wonderfully talented horse, Lee, and this is a, a ride of great nerve from Colin Keane. It was indeed. I mean, I thought this was the performance that set the season in Europe alight. It was the visually, I think, by far the most exciting display we've seen on a race course since racing resumed here and in Ireland on turf. It was always going to be a difficult race tactically for Colin Keane um, on the basis that there were so many Ballydore horses in the contest. 
and lots of horsemen who've raced against Ballydore when they are so heavily represented numerically have spoken about the tactical difficulties that come of it. They go into it, as Joe Lyon said after the race, with eyes wide open. You know, John Gosling has spoken about this, other jockeys have spoken about this, how you know when you're up against a huge challenge, it is going to be difficult. And there was a point halfway up the home straight when you did think, is Siskin going to get out of, out of the pocket? Shami Heffernan on Lopi Fernandez makes a big sweeping move around the outside that looks like A might carry him to victory, but it also looked as though it might completely finish off Siskin's chances. Here's Siskin, where does, Colin, where, does, where does Colin King go? He gets a horse out, and when he asks him to go, there's an electric turn of foot that puts the race to bed very quickly. And however far Siskin won this race by, I don't think it gave an accurate reflection of his supremacy over the field. He's a very good horse indeed. Um, the runner-up, uh, Vatican City, has run a, an excellent race, yeah. and he himself was a bit of a victim of the yeah. amount of runners Aidan O'Brien had in the race, ironically enough, because he was locked up on the rail. I fancy that if perhaps Aidan had had half the runners, Siskin and he would have been about 10 lengths in front of the others, and Siskin probably would have been about the same distance in front of him. Yeah, entirely possible. And he's certainly a horse to look forward to um, for the future. And when you do run as many horses in a race as, as they did there, then some things will go right tactically for you and some things won't. And it might be that some members of the team um, are sacrificed in favour of others. That's, that's potentially what happened there. Let's just take a look at this on the head-on because it's, it's quite revealing. You can see it here. Um, it, it, two things. A, Colin Keane didn't panic and B, he had the horse underneath him that when he made the manoeuvre, the horse could go through the gap. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the great thing is that they knew this horse had split-second acceleration. He's not the sort of horse that you have to wind up uh, and let him go. He's a horse you can press a button and he'll respond. And I think for that reason, the race that Joe Lyons nominated for in the Sussex Stakes is absolutely the perfect sort of race for Siskin because that's a race in which acceleration, I think almost more than any of the big Group 1 mile races, comes to the fore around Goodwood. And he will be ideally suited to Goodwood. Although, again, it's a sort of race course where, he, where Colin could find two furlongs out. He's in a slightly um, awkward position. I, I was quite impressed that immediately he, he nominated the Sussex Stakes yeah. and that clearly that had been the plan. Yeah. I mean, this is what I like about Ger Lyons, he is, he is following a very clear plan and it, it, it wouldn't have been necessarily the first race on, on a lot of people's minds but I suppose if you're going to take him out of Royal Ascot because it's too soon yeah. then that's the, next, that's the next obvious target and you go and take on the older milers and get some weight. Well that's it, yeah. I mean, and Royal Ascot would have been tempting. You know, there would have been a lot of people that would look at the the St James's Palace and say, well, the, the new market Guinness when a Cameco is going off the new market, we're pretty confident we'd have the measure of, of Wichita and Pinatubo on their new market form. But no, he's waiting for Goodwood. As you say, he's clearly got a long range plan. And the other great thing about Joe Lines yeah. is that not only is a very good trainer, he's a very good talker. And he does say what he thinks. He doesn't sit on the fence. He's not in any way boring. And people like that enliven the sport. Well, let's hear from uh, the winning trainer now, both he and Colin Keane, after the running of the Irish 2000 Guineas, spoke with Gary. Well, I think social distancing was made for me. You know, I mean, typical of me to win a Guineas when there's nobody here and no crowds, and I think that's when I'm at my happiest. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look like you're too bothered, and why not as well? I mean, it all's well that ends well, but how were you feeling watching that race? It must have been near torture, was it, watching him pend away on the inside where he was and fighting for room? 
Yeah, but I remember when Johnny used to ride, Johnny Murphy used to ride plenty for me, and I used to always remember legging him up and, you know, I always had faith that I was in good hands. And I have the same feeling with Colin. And I knew, we knew this was going to happen. We knew we were in trouble. And if for any reason we didn't go forward, we were going to be in a dangerous predicament. Um, what makes the, the good lads great and the good horses better than the, the ordinary horses. They're able to get themselves out of them scenarios, and that's what both of them did today. The horse is good. He's a group one winner at two. He's now a group one winner at three. Um, we knew he'd be better on fast ground. In the last month, we were very confident he'd get the trip. But until he did it, we had, you know, that, there was that doubt. But he's been a very easy horse to train, Gary. He's push button and the team have been fantastic through lockdown and we've had a very good prep train pre-training for him and as I said to Colin before I legged him up I said Col everything has come right for us we've had a great pre-season with him um, the ground is right for us if he doesn't get the trip he doesn't get the trip if he doesn't win he's not the best horse ride him like the best horse you've ever ridden because he is the best horse you've ever ridden and that's what he did yeah it means the world obviously to ride it for my boss and for Prince Caleb Dulla, uh, an owner we don't have that long in the yard to get a horse of this calibre and to get us all a first classic it's a thing of dreams Yeah and with the horse who has become your flag bearer top two year old last season there was so much expectation going into today you swerved Newmarket to come here it must feel pretty good when it all goes right Exactly yeah um, the more time we've probably given him the better he's become so it's thankfully it just all worked out on the day now it did all go right but for one moment one horrible moment it looked as though you might get locked away in the inside just take us through your thoughts because we all know you're a cool customer were you even just inside starting to feel a little bit uneasy oh i was a little bit uh, but to be fair to the horse he the further he went the stronger he traveled and thankfully when the gap appeared as you've seen before he has such an acceleration he was through the gap and gone within strides and he he quickened up well and galloped the whole way to the line. Now you say the gap appeared. You fairly had to fight your corner to get that gap, though, didn't you? I did, yeah. Um, as I say, we were, I was beside Wayne, Wayne the whole way, and Wayne kind of helped me along as well. And we, when it appeared, I had the horse to get there. It's humbling. I mean, it's it's just nice. Um, I was getting. I had more texts before the race than I'd ever have after other winners before, and it's just fantastic. It's just, it's humbling to to, to think that people are. You know, people you don't think are even watching you are, are watching, and, and, and you win in a race brings some joy to somebody down in Mayo, or you know, my uncle Brendan's in Mayo, and, and I know you know they wouldn't know a horse from a, a, a bullock, and, and, and they watch plenty of racing, you know, and they get a great thrill out of what we do. So I'm sure this is for everybody who's supported us for the last 30 years. Joe Lyons and Colin Keane reflecting on the victory of Siskin, a spectacular performance as well and certainly a really absorbing race to watch. I just wanted one more word about Joe there with, with, with Lee. I just, I just love the way he attacks the game. Yeah, absolutely. And he's always going to give good copy. He is always going to give good, good copy and he attacks the game in an environment which is very daunting for any trainer in Ireland who isn't Aidan O'Brien or Anne O'Brien. You know, they have such strength in depths such such firepower over there that for other trainers who were once other trainers who were once huge trainers are, are not so big mm. you know it's it's very hard even if you're a Dermot Welder or a Jim Bolger to go up against Aidan O'Brien is hugely difficult for Joe Lyons it is hugely difficult but he fights the fight with real relish see he, he talks a good game but he plays a good game as well and he's good for the sport in that sense and also good for the sport are results that you might not have been able to predict and I can guarantee nobody could have foreseen this.
This was Newbury yesterday, Division 2 of the Novice Stakes. The horse in question, Intercessor, the white colours with the armlets and cap, right down the middle of the track, fending off representatives from Godolphin and Shadwell, and doing so in style under a certain Kieran Fallon. 200 to 1. Lee, were you on? Do you know I wasn't? No. If I was, I probably wouldn't be sat here now. Um, no, he, and this is the sort of horse that, with the best one in the world, if this was a similar race that was staged at Yarmouth or Leicester, you wouldn't have really fancied the horse. But in a Newbury novice, you most definitely wouldn't. 200 to 1. Trained by John Gallagher, who joins us on the line now. John, good morning. Morning, Nick. How are you? When you were driving to Newbury yesterday, how did you imagine this horse would fare? Um, he's quite a, a lively sort at home, and um, the Newbury, I thought the straight mile might just, it might just help him, a big long galloping horse, but I said to the owner when I left, you know, if we finish, it, it looks quite competitive enough for fair. If we finish in the first five or six, he's run, he's run absolutely brilliant. Um, and even you know watching watching the race live, when when they came to head him, I thought, well you know fifth, I'm happy with that. He, he wouldn't have been beaten far. But when he stuck his neck out and come back at him again, I thought, hmm, he might be all right. He might be okay. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I hand on heart, no, of course I didn't expect him to win. You know, but two hundred to one, that's that's quite a big big price for a ten runner novice with some that hadn't run before um so yeah it, i i no didn't think he was going to win of course i didn't but uh, i knew he was straight he was fit and the, the step up to a mile was always going to help him um so yeah a, a very pleasant pleasant surprise a very pleasant surprise and i was reading this morning that your your owner also bred the horse is that right he did yes <clears throat> um i i i trained his half sister um, year or so ago, and um, she she didn't turn out to be anything special. But uh, this lad's always showed in his homework when he comes, you know, when he doesn't get himself too worked up, he actually works. He, he works like a really nice horse. Um, what was nice when um, I was sitting in the winners' enclosure waiting for Kieran to come back, and it, it seemed to be ages, and all the others were unsaddled. I'm thinking, oh Christ, I hope he hasn't buried him after the lion or something because it'd take it forever <laughs> and Kieran came back and, and said I said where have you been he said I couldn't pull him up and I thought, that's a good sign um so we'll probably we'll we'll get a bit further but looking at that yes it sounds like it sounds like you've got quite an exciting horse to look forward to I don't suppose you'd given an awful lot of thought to beyond yesterday had you no no I mean we <clears throat> we thought the mile would probably be um a good starting point because you know, he, he, although he's bred, he's, he's probably bred to sprint by due diligence said with Bohemian um, there. So, but he, he never, he never actually galloped like a sprinter. He never looked like a sprinter. Um, but looking at yesterday, you know, the mile and a quarter probably wouldn't be beyond him. Um, and I know they they sort of left him alone a little bit, let him dictate. But to be fair to Kieran, he came out and he, he said, you know. Not a, not, nothing's coming from behind here. I said, so I said, just let him enjoy himself. Jump him out, and if he wants to bowl along, let him bowl along, and let's see what we've got. You know, he might. You know, he gives us a nice feel at home. So, see see how far you can get before you have to get too serious. And I think because he was 200 to one, they've left him alone a little bit. Um, but it was nice the way he's actually stuck his neck out and come back at them. Um, 
Yeah, it was it was good. Just as well I had one of those masks on yesterday because <laughs> Lydia heard me. Lydia heard me shouting. That was with the mask on, and I didn't think I was doing. I, I thought I'd been quite restrained stood in the paddock, but um, yeah, Lydia heard me. So yeah, it was good. It was good. Good. Yeah. Very exciting day. It was absolutely brilliant, and, I, and I'm guessing a, a massive boost for everybody as well. Everyone needs a boost at the moment, particularly trainers of you know, medium-sized string. I, I, I'm guessing the atmosphere in the yard last night was quite special. That was fantastic when we got back. Um, because, you know, the lad who rides them and led them up, um, Phil, Phil Thomas, he's, he's done such a good job with it. He's been very patient with them. And then in the pre-parade ring, he intercessor bumped him on the top of the head. He had a hell of a lump on the top of his head. <laughs> so he'd, had, he'd been through the mill yesterday. So, yeah, I, I, I got the lads around and, and um, give them a little gunky because, uh, you know, they work hard. And we've worked, you know, they all need, like you said, they all need a boost at this time. And, and they've worked right through from, from March. We didn't, we didn't actually close down. We just, the owners decided they want to keep them ticking over. So that's what we did. Brilliant. And, um, yeah, and hopefully yeah. now we've got him on the board, we can get, we can get a few more and, and just, you know, repay them in that way. Fingers crossed for you, John. Thanks so much for joining us this morning and many congratulations. Cheers, Nick. Thank you. John, Ga John Gallagher, who trained 200 to 1 winner into Sessa yesterday at Newbury. And now to something completely different and something a little more easily anticipated. The, the win of Lazuli in the Scurry Stakes Sandown Parks feature. This completed the middle leg of a treble for, oh, this was, I should say, the middle leg of a treble for William Buick. He made all the running and he looks very good, Lee. He does look very good, yeah. This is a race and often gets overlooked because it comes so close before. Royal Ascot, where of course these days is a Commonwealth Cup for three-year-old sprinters, which this race is aimed at as well. But Lazuli won the race like a horse who would have been more than good enough to contest the Commonwealth Cup. He came here off the back of a very pleasing reappearance at a handicap at Newmarket, but he stepped up a level here. He dictated from the front under William Buick, who rode the sort of race that often pays dividends up Sandown sprint shoot, but there was still loads to like about the way he quickened away inside the final furlong. It's solid enough listed form. Um, Sunday Symphony, the, the King Power Horse, was a big purchase last year from his connections in Ireland, hasn't run his race. Yeah, he just he doesn't look like um, he's going to build on, on what he showed initially at two. But Lazuli is certainly progressing. He certainly looks like a group horse. And based on what William Buick was saying afterwards, five furlongs is likely to remain his trip as opposed to six furlongs. And the runner-up there, who has run extremely well relative to her mark, keep busy, is in the Palace of Holyrood House Stakes, the five furlong handicap at Ascot on Friday. Trips off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> huh? Yes. Talking more about some of the new Ascot races in a moment with Nick Smith. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equuel Dubai. All right, busy little spell of the programme coming up because we've got Nick Smith joining us very shortly, then John Gosden, then Charlie Hills with Batash. But first of all, uh, Ascot has enabled international horses to run, which is great news, including American horses. We've got a few from Wesley Ward's yard coming. The most exciting American raider is Sharing, the winner of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf. She's trained by Graham Motion and she's owned in partnership by Eclipse Thoroughbred's Aaron Wellman. Here's a lovely piece put together by Great British Racing International.
we're designed as a partnership company to participate in the biggest events and not just participate, but compete and hopefully win them. And that's what our partners join Eclipse for is to be part of those moments. So to not be able to be there in person and share the experience with our partners, Gainsway and with Graham and his family, you know, that's a little bit uh, tough to swallow. But at the same time, uh, this is really about the Philly you know, she really does deserve the opportunity um, to do what we're asking her to do. Uh, some of the best European fillies came to America for the Breeders' Cup, and we got the best of them on that occasion. And we feel it's appropriate that if she's doing well and showing all the right signs that we try to do it over there as well, you know. Um, so first and foremost, it's about the filly and giving her that opportunity that she so deserves. And secondly, you know, I think Graham and I are, and, and Anthony Becker are, are very much like-minded in the sense that we're facing difficult times in the world right now. You know, everybody's feeling the pain of the pandemic and, and numerous cultural and social issues that are going on in the world. Um, and, and this is sort of a gesture of unity of sportsmanship and in trying to bring the world closer together i know that we live in the bubble of the thoroughbred horse racing industry but it is a small world and we're just trying to do something that we think is right for the philly and at the same time maybe has somewhat of a bigger picture effect uh, of overall sportsmanship and and just trying to do something meaningful for uh, for everybody associated. This is really a, it's about the sport. You know, it's very easy to go down the road and, and run in and cherry pick your grade twos and grade ones. But, you know, we want to, we want to take on the best and we want to show, you know, what she's capable of. And I think it's, it's what racing's really about. Agro Motion and Aaron Wellman, trainer and owner of Sharing, talking about their runner in the Coronation Stakes. And they will be taking on some pretty smart horses as well, one of whom we'll be talking about with John Gosden in a few moments' time. The fact that internationals will still be at Ascot will be music to the ears of Nick Smith, Ascot's uh, Director of Racing, Head of PR. Uh, Nick, hi, how are you? Very good, Nick. How are you this morning? Yeah, extremely well, thanks. I know time is tight for you, um, but I, I just wanted to really get a sense from you of... of of, of what the mood is really at, at Ascot ahead of this very unusual but very significant week for the sport. I mean, the mood's good. Uh, you know, everyone's very positive. I mean, obviously, it's extremely strange. I mean, you know, a few of us here in the office today, we've got a few site visits and what have you, but the place would normally be buzzing. There'd be cranes everywhere. There'd be flowers being delivered. You know, the whole thing would be, you know, sort of organised mayhem. But, uh, you know, this morning, there's just a few... Uh, a few things being done in the parade ring, obviously putting out the social distancing markers, um, setting up the final um, stages of the, the jockey changing rooms because we, we've basically converted a, a big restaurant into a secondary jockey changing room so that they can socially distance properly and, in fact, of course, be more comfortable. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's life, but not as we know it. <laughs> and just in terms of how many people in total you expect to be on the premises during the week, could you put some sort of a number on that? Probably about 500 at any one time. And it kind of depends on how many runners there are. But you know, with the with the sort of the BHA official staff, um, pretty significant. Obviously, the full racing team, the grounds team, and everything like that. Um, participants, and obviously with with the extra races each day, that 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 uh, that increases participants to a certain degree. Um, but we reckon about 500 at any one time will probably be on site.
Obviously, you've got huge media coverage here and internationally. ITV1 giving massive commitment to the, to the event as well. Uh, in, in terms of interest that you've had from the, the wider media, how has it stacked up this year relative to a normal year? There's been uh, no difference whatsoever, if anything, probably more, just because of the unique nature of the event and the fact that probably the Royal Meeting is the first global sporting event to a genuinely global sporting event to take place um, uh, uh, during this period. I mean, obviously, there's been big races in Hong Kong and Australia and what have you, but you know, it wasn't the spring carnival um, in, in Australia. It was the autumn carnival, which is big. But um, but I think it's probably fair to say that the, the interest has been on us. I mean, I think I think the fact that it is shared now with the return of Premiership football obviously filters that slightly. But certainly in the in the immediate run up, it's been um, it's been pretty intense. But that's good. I mean, you know, this, this is what we want to see. You know, the, the very fact that there were vast viewing figures for the Kipco 2000 Guineas um, last week, you know, last week. Um, and, and the media interest for Royal Ascot is just as high. I mean, we've got over 120 countries taking the Royal Meeting. All these things are great positives for the sport and just show, you know, just show, uh, show us all what, what racing really means to people and what a great opportunity we have during this period where we are the highest profile sport for a little while, just for a little while. Uh, what a great opportunity that is for, for us to push this out. Nick, short, sweet. Thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. Nick Smith, head of PR for Ascot Racecourse, joined now by John Gosden. John, good morning. Good morning. And I would imagine you'll have been encouraged by some of what Nick was saying there. Ascot very much recognising the significance of the week ahead. And in your column, uh, in your piece that Lee wrote today in the, in the Racing Post, you're stressing really just how crucial this is. Yes, because, you, you know, it's rather like a quarterback in a football game scrambling around trying to get the pass away. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to salvage a meaning and structure to the season. And I think if we do pull off uh, Royal Ascot, that will have been achieved. How do you think we've done so far? Well, very well. I think it was a slightly shaky start at Newcastle. Um, you can do all the statistics you like. You don't expect certain things to happen. But I think it got better and stronger. And the time we got to Newmarket, uh, right through that meeting, it went very smoothly. It's not often you run a whole day of two-year-old races and not have a single incident, all unraced two-year-olds. I thought that was incredibly smoothly and well done, and I think it was wonderful, the culmination in the guineas and uh, in two great races. So I, I think it's a pat on the back to all the participants, and we are very strictly keeping to all the biosecurity measures and protocols. So it's a lonely old place at the race course right now, I can assure you, but that's the way it should be. And just in terms of a time frame that you think would be appropriate for more people to be allowed into race courses, how, how front foot do you think the sport can afford to be on that at the moment? Well, we've always gone by government uh, instructions. You, you cast your mind back. The policy of this government in early March was herd immunity. Those were the terms used by Professor Witte and Professor Valence. And that is why we had Premier League football games, why we have... Twickenham and Murrayfield filled the rafters of rugby internationals, why we had Atletico Madrid and 3,000 Madrid supporters coming into Anfield on the Wednesday, and why we had Cheltenham. I mean, that is why the government policy was that. Then in came Professor Neil Ferguson and Imperial and their team, and they said, if you continue with this, half a million people will die. Well, no politician is going to be able to deal with that. That's a suicidal note. Consequently, we had a 180-degree turn in policy. 
and we have gone into lockdown. Our horses had to be trained. We're out on the heath. It's healthy social distancing. We were fortunate. We're not stuck in a high rise in the middle of a city. But then when this date of June the 1st came for the possibility of uh, sport behind closed doors, it's obvious you're on a 500, 600 acre site of a race course, you can most certainly have 150, 250, 350 people there socially distanced. And uh, and I tell you, you sit in the grandstand and you look around, you think an atomic bomb's gone off, there's no one there. <laughs> so it's probably not, not beyond the bounds of possibility that racing can further a case that it should be seen not as a stadium, but as a park, uh, as a yeah, piece I of parkland. I mean, I would... Can. Personally, I think for the owners, it's incredibly frustrating not to have, say, two nominated owners to come for each horse. That is really frustrating. They're the one that put the whole show on. Forget it. Without them, there are no horses. There is no racing. The race courses are empty. Um, so for them, it's very tough. And I would like to see ITV, it's a terrestrial TV channel, for goodness sake, have a spot at the end of the paddock at Ascot where they're socially distanced from everyone, but they can actually have a sense of contact with the horses, even if it's from 25 yards away. Yeah, I think I believe that is the that is the plan, though. Obviously, I can't speak for, for ITV and Ascot obviously has an enormous space in order to be able to accommodate people safely as well. And Nick's saying there might be up to 500 people there on any given day at, at any given time. John, I must ask you about the Rao is putting it too strongly, but a, a disagreement has developed this week again between the Horsemen's Group and the, and the Racecourse Association about uh, prize money contributions and distribution. How did you view that? Well, you have to understand that the letter sent by the chairman of the Horsemen's Group is correct. We, the media rights income going to racecourses, they were never transparent about it. They would never let the horse people, the owners, the breeders know what money was going in there. They, and that is not how you should run a business. It's not a correct manner. And consequently, unilaterally deciding without any consultation with the owners or anyone else that they can simply use levy board money and not put a penny of executive money in is wrong. Now have a meeting about it, show your figures, explain, fine, but don't just go behind people's back. And I'm sorry to say that the race courses are all going through terribly difficult times like everyone else, but we are nothing. The, the economy is shrinking. People have been furloughed. It'll never, ever work again because they'll be made redundant. People are facing difficult times. It's a time for absolute honesty and openness. And all we're asking for is to see their meteorite figures, and that's where the, it's very important that, that to know it from the onshore, offshore betting and everything else. And we're looking to that, and we'll also be looking to being very open with each other in the future. But I think when they try and do things in a slightly underhand manner, that is not the way to run this industry, and it is not the way that this industry will ever get itself on a sound financial footing. Does it sadden you that a spirit of consensus only lasts, it can last about 10 days in this sport? I'll be absolutely honest. Uh, the race courses, the RCA particularly, have been a problem. They undermined Peter Saville. I was there on the, the ROA board throughout that time when he was chair right the way through. And they need to come and talk to us and be open with us and not just take owners for granted because our biggest problem will be if prize money remains low, 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 people won't afford to be able to play the game. And I made a little point in that article today that a lot of the major owner breeders who put enormous number of horses into training and then to often be sold and bought on again, look at the favorite for the Golden Jubilee, these people are not young anymore. 
you cannot rely on them to have five, six hundred mayors and be putting these kind of numbers in. Where are you going to go? That's why I said in 10 years' time, and as for careful, it'll be a very different land- landscape, a very shrunken business. Race courses will go, trainers will go, studs will go, and we'll have a lot smaller and a lot less quality as well, because you know what it costs to prepare and to breed and rear horses and the cost to run a stud farm. It is phenomenally expensive and it is a luxury goods business. And uh, that's why I think we're quite vulnerable unless we actually talk openly one to another. Uh, You've got some serious luxury goods on show in the next few days, John. Um, I I can't go through all of them because time won't allow and you'll get extremely fed up with me. But I I did want to ask you about, about Stradivarius and about Thursday and about how you feel that preparation has gone. Well, yes, look, it's, it's not ideal. It's not ideal for anyone. I, I didn't really want to run him in a two-and-a-half-mile Ascot Gold Cup Group 1 without a prep. We went down the road. We didn't go to Newcastle for the Cigaro and the Group 3. We went down the road to the Coronation Cup, where <laughs> they've never been so fast over that Heath in 350 years and breaking track records. I think he equaled the track record. So it's not what you call exactly your cosy little prep race. No. Uh, he seems to have taken it very well. You always worry about the bounce factor when you're bringing horses back quickly. That has to be a realistic concern, but we've been very happy with him. He's, he's a wonderful attitude. I've got respect for the field. I think Technician is a horse that's underrated. I was most impressed with him in in uh, france last year i wouldn't want to see too much rain and a big thunderstorm because this is a real fast ground horse and uh, he really doesn't like he battles in soft ground but it's not his seat he, he can't show that superb turn of foot on softer ground so look if it's uh, if it's decent ground we're going to be there and it's a great testament to the horse trying to do that something that cigaro himself did and, and we, we enjoyed a fantastic uh, Ascot preview that, that you participated in for Racing Welfare on, on Thursday evening. So thanks to everyone who, who supported that. And I, I could praise what you said there. You gave a big shout to, to Nazif and to Palace Pier and to, and to Lord North and Terra Bellum in the, in the Queen Anne as well. And, and frankly, darling, but you unleashed another um, potential star yesterday in Franconia at, at Newbury. And um, just the way that so Frankie's expression, if you like, as he, as he attempted to pull her up, I, I thought was quite revealing. Yeah, she's very talented, Philly. But it, again, she's missed running in April and May. So she's not seasoned yet. So I, I'm favouring to go to the Musadora, but we'll see what happens. Concerning the ones that we were having a jolly time promoting, yeah. I assure you, when you enter them initially, you're very confident. <laughs> and then as you get closer to the race, you look at the competition, you look at the draw, you look at this. By the time you get to the race, you mentally sort of feel you're lucky to be there. So I've not got enormous confidence in them. I have confidence they'll run well, whether they're good enough is another matter. But I did roll Lord North into the Prince of Wales today, so the old boy's probably a bit confused with me already. Yeah, Lord North in the Prince of Wales as well. So, um, uh, and Medea as well in the Prince of Wales? Yeah, she's yeah. in there, and it's interesting. I, I, don't, uh, I thought there might be a blistering pace. Who knows what's going to happen? But it's a small, I think, six, seven horse field, so I thought Lord North can go there rather than carry a penalty elsewhere. Look, it's a wonderful race to run in, and uh, I think from the point of view of some of the other races, some don't get into the races, some will switch. It's playing a game of cards and, quite frankly, shuffling a pack, but uh, there'll be a lot of races we're not even got a contestant in, but if you can manage to pull a brace of winners at the, at the Ascot meeting, you've got to be happy. Uh, you had a bit of fun with me the other night because you you put chuck the curveball in with Run, Run Wild in the, in, the, um, in the coronation stakes. 
Yes, that was very much coming from uh, the wonderfully sporting uh, syndicate that owner and uh, Oshin, and I thought it was the most... I, I think I sometimes have bold ideas, but I just loved it. I just thought it was so off the wall that it was actually a good idea, so I'm fully behind it. Excellent. And Oshin, of course, can't ride her because he has to ride... He's committed to, to Graham Motion's Philly sharing. Absolutely, he is indeed. Yeah. So, so I'm guessing Frankie will, will ride. I'm not sure who we'll get on at the moment. I haven't got that far. I'll wait for my instructions from this very, very enthusiastic group of owners. OK, all right. Well, we look forward to seeing that. John, thanks so much for your time. All righty. Bye. John Gosden there. Um, amazing how he can so deftly uh, switch between the joys of Royal Asca and the, some of the dark places that, that, that racing has to go to to get its house in order. Yeah, he he was described by Jeremy Nasida as racing's best politician and diplomat in a profile. Um, Peter Thomas did on, on John last year, and it was interesting when he when he was speaking in this in this Racing Post interview today, how we I, I put to him, you know, do, do you embrace this this role you have as the sage voice of racing? And he was saying, well, uh, not necessarily really, but but he, he thinks that doing it behind the scenes. Mm is the most important thing. And I think you, you do sense that with the resumption, and even things like the ITV deal, that he has been active behind the scenes in speaking to people and trying to, to press upon them the importance of certain matters. Yeah, it was a, most interesting to listen to, to John's thoughts there on the on what is brewing now, I think, again, between the, the Horsemen's Group and the Racecourse Association. Look over your shoulder, Lee. Good morning, My Charlie word. Hills. Or good afternoon, Charlie Hills. Can you hear me? Come in. Good morning. Good afternoon, Nick. Yeah, I, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. There is a little delay on the line, but it's great to have you live with us from uh, from your base in Lambourne. Just as the screen freezes, this is a, this is always a dangerous moment. But I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that this will hold as efficiently as Cameco did last week. Perhaps hoping against hope, and that we can see um, Tash. Yeah, we've got you, Charlie, but uh, we're, we're just frozen at the moment, so we may have to do a bit of remedial Can work you? on this connection and, uh, and come back. But if, if Batash is as calm before the Kingstown State as he looks here right now, that's, that's got to all go, well, all go well. OK, right, hopefully we're just going to have a little reboot and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be OK because Charlie's not one but two-handed in the Kingstown because he's got Equilateral as well, who I, I half thought might run quite well at a at a big price. What Batash has this year, Lee, is a smallish field to contend with, yeah. talented horses, uh, and we've now got to see whether he can, whether he can get that, that last kind of half furlong at, at Ascot. And he hasn't got Blue Point either. Yeah. Um, he got a horse last year, Blue Point, who was absolutely at his very best at Ascot. Batash so far hasn't been at his very best at Ascot, but he's so far clear on the figures that if he runs to his best, I think he wins a race full stop. It's just with Batash, or always that possibility that he won't run to his best. Right, I'm going to try this again. Let's go to Charlie again. There we are. Now, this looks like an okay connection, Charlie. Uh, I'm going to keep it quick and simple and straightforward. Just point out where Batash is for us and how he's getting on. Uh, he's over here, Nick. Um, we'll walk over. Uh, and just tell us how he's doing, Charlie. Uh, can you see him? Yeah, we've got him. Yes, look, we've been very pleased with, we've been very pleased the way he's been training, and you know we haven't had any setbacks at all, and I think you know he's looking terrific in his coat, and uh, I could be really more pleased with it, with him. Um, would you have had to do more work with him to get him ready this time? 
Well, obviously, we're about three weeks uh, after, after after he would have normally run at Haydock. So, you know, we've had time really just to keep him ticking over. Uh, but, you know, he keeps himself pretty trim. He's very exuberant in his work. So, uh, you know, he's a pretty straightforward horse to train, really. Uh, he's been he's been declared for the race. Obviously, he was declared yesterday, 72-hour deck. When you look at the race, are you minded to try something a bit different with him it, tactically? Or are you going to try and hold on to him a little bit, as you have done in the last two King stands? Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see how he jumps uh, jumps out, really. But, um, you know, he'll, he'll travel away. We just see, obviously, we need to see where the pace is. Uh, in the race, and just we don't want to take him back at all. I wouldn't have thought, but uh, just as long as we try and get the fractions right. Is he giving you every indication that he is as good this year? I, 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 I certainly feel so. Uh, you know, Dane, Dane and Neil's been coming in, riding most of his work, and he's been delighted with him. Uh, he certainly doesn't, to me, doesn't look, look like he's lost any speed. That's uh, Batash, of course. His his biggest danger. Charlie might come from come from within because you've got equilateral in the race as well. He's really showing off for us, which is lovely. Um, I don't think he thinks yeah, equilateral is a threat, but <laughs> but I don't know whether you do. Him. Well, you know, he's certainly a horse that runs very well fresh. And, you know, we've had a good chance to freshen him up now from Dubai. We've been really pleased the way he's held his coat coming from there. And he seems... To he seems in good nick, actually, at the moment. Um, I think the track should suit him well as well. Do you think those those breaks are crucial to him? Do you think he's a horse who's always going to give up his best after a break? Well, I certainly, you know, if you look back at all his form, uh, that certainly tells you he does like a break. So you know, that's the whole idea why we, we never took him to the, 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 pallet, uh, the pallet house and just wanted to wait for, for uh, King Stan. Charlie, just tell us who's who's looking after the horses today. Uh, here we've got Phoebe, which is uh, Jamie Insoles, uh, my assistant's girlfriend. Uh, she's on the junior uh, GB eventing team. Uh, so she's kindly just given up her time to, sh to um, be on your show. Well, we're, we're very appreciative and we're... We, we, we're very familiar with uh, the gentleman with Batash, but uh, just remind us all. Uh, yeah, that's Bob, Bob Grace. Uh, you know, he's obviously been on this long journey with, with Batash now and, uh, you know, they get, on, they get on so well together. And uh, Bob's a little bit lamer again this year, but <laughs> he'll be, he'll be on Tuesday. And, and they, they, they clearly have a great rapport. Absolutely, yeah. You know, uh, he's such a character, Batash, uh, and uh, you know, he's, he's from what he was as a two-year-old to what he is now. You know, he's he's, um, he's so easy to deal with. So, Charlie, we've we've seen Batash and Equilateral. Was there another horse in the back of your of your shot there, or am I dreaming? There, there was just yeah, there was one. There was yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fab Fabrizio here is holding Cardem. Ah, Cardem. He runs in the Diamond Jubilee on, on Saturday. And he was absolutely magnificent at Goodwood last year. God, he looks well. Doesn't he? Yeah. yeah he's, um, he's pretty much looked like that all the way through the winter. 
Uh, he's really kept his coat and, uh, you know, we've been really pleased the way he's been training. It just gave him a little spin at Goodwood uh, a couple of weeks back and uh, we've been delighted with him. So uh, just looking forward to getting him running on some fast ground again, really. You know, his two runs after Goodwood, just the ground was against him, really. You've trained the best five furlong horse and the best six furlong horse of the of the recent era, Batash and Muharrar. Do you think this horse in shot now, Cardin, could be as could be as talented if things go right for him? Well, he's got such a, yeah, he's got such ability. This horse, and uh, you know, he's only going to get better with age. Uh, but you know, he's he's got to really prove himself at the top level yet, and let's just hope he can do that this season. And who's who's with Cardin today, horse, Charlie? Uh, this is Fabrizio, uh, one of our yard managers, and uh, he's from Italy. Look at that! He looks fantastic, Cardin. He really does. It's been it's been an absolute joy to see them all, Charlie. Thanks so much for doing this for us. Um, it really does uh, bring it all to life, and I, I hope they all do you no, proud thanks next very much week. For having us on. Thanks so much. Charlie Hills, who saddles uh, three super sprinters at Royal Ascot, and from, from one man who's tasted so much success uh, in, in recent years with his sprinters, to a, another man who's had a, a very fast start to this season, um, Tom Clover, whose horses are running fantastically well, and, and joins me now. He's right over your shoulder there, Lee. Tom, good, uh, where are we? Are we still morning? Yes, still morning. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, well, thanks, Nick. How are you? Yeah, in, in good form. As I say, the, the yard has, has started in, in, in flying form since the, 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 the resumption. You've had, you've had six winners and just about everything else you've run has, has run well. Um, it must be, must be beyond your wildest dreams. Oh, it's great to get started um, well and just great for my team who, you know, worked really hard through this difficult time and um, the horses seem well, and uh, we all know, it, you know it's going to be difficult to make it last, but I uh, will enjoy it while it does. Did you think going into this season, whenever it was going to start, that you had, a, you had a really decent group of horses assembled? Yeah, I mean, we, we sold a lot back end last year, and we've, something we, work, we work quite hard to try and build up sort of that nice band of older horses, which is hard when you start training. You know, we started a few years ago, and it, they're sort of two-year-olds or things you can buy the horse in training sales but to have bought these horses as young horses a lot of them and um, brought them on to be nice four-year-olds is quite rewarding and and something you know it just takes a while to establish yourself so they seemed well they seemed in good form and I, I was hoping for a nice start but never quite imagined um, it would be quite as successful as it's been so far. Just give us give us a flavour of what it's been like in Newmarket in the in the weeks leading up to the uh, leading up to the resumption. Have you been able to sort of spur each other on, if you like, or all the trainers there? Yeah, I mean Newmarket's a terrific place to train, and um, you know we have a lot more bad days than we have good days, and there's always um, a fellow trainer to put their arm around your back when you've had a bad day. Um, I think, yeah, the last few weeks beforehand, we sort of knew it was very likely after we missed the middle of May date that we were going to get going 1st of June. And um, you could just feel it sort of the whole place lift a bit and people were working their horses a lot more. And uh, it's a wonderful place to be and train. And, you know, you see all your friends every morning. And, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of having been difficult early on. It was uh, it's been great the last month or so. 
In terms of the in terms of the flag bearers this year, I mean horses who've already run to a very high standard this season, Celsius and um, and Holy Kingdom. What are the plans for for them now? Yeah, so Holy Kingdom just missed out on the copper horse um, at Ascot today, this morning. He's in the Duke of Edinburgh. We might struggle to get a run there, but you know, he went up to 92 there now, and hopefully um, he can just continue to breast through the year. I, it's hard to make plans because um, sort of, we haven't got all the programmes through yet, but we might look at Northumberland Plate or the Constellation Race um, if we don't get into a Duke of Edinburgh. And if they've got the old Newson Cup, we might look something like that. But um, And Celsius seems, seems really well since his run at Haydock. Um, you, I mean, you love having won at Glorious Goodwood last year. You could just imagine perhaps um, either the consolation race to the Stewards Cup or something like that might suit him. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, gosh, they're, they're, it's great they've won their races. Hopefully, they can continue to progress and um, they can have a crack at something bigger. And for you, Tom, how busy are you going to be in the next week or week or two? Oh, not that busy. I run everything now, Nick. Um, uh, we've got bits and bobs to run. Um, we've sort of got 35 horses. So, um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be sort of quieter. It sort of tends to be the way, as you know, with, with your horses. You sort of have a period where you're very frantic. We run everything and we've had a busy week and next week will be quieter. So hopefully we can enjoy watching Ascot on the telly. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Now, it's quite a short programme today relative to what we normally have. And I, I, I long to be able to give um, guests like my next guest a little bit more time. But we've still got another uh, 10 minutes left on the programme, which I'm going to devote to Brian Chappell, who's devoted much of his recent life to campaigning on behalf of punters in their quest to receive funds from bookmakers that they, they believe that they're owed but can't get. And Brian has operated a an organisation called Justice for Punters, and he, I was going to say he trades, but he he, um, he plies his trade on Twitter under the name uh, Jimmy Justice, which is how you might know him, but I'm, I'm very pleased to welcome him to the, the show now. Brian, um, very good morning to you. Very good morning, Nick, and thank you for inviting me. Not at all, and, and you've come to, to prominence a little bit this week because one of your, your volunteers who's put in tireless work down the years, Paul Fairhead, has... Um, if not hung up his boots, decided to take a bit of a pause. Uh, uh, just tell us why. Well, I think um, I've, I've been reading back actually through a couple of um, Chris Cook's um, Guardian articles and I, and I thought these two quotes from Paul really summed it up. In, a, in an article in 2014, he was quoted as being a, a passionate believer in fair gambling and then this week on June 20th he's quoted as saying work has got harder and he has begun to feel ground ground down and and I think that sort of sums it up really he's given seven years seven years of his life as a volunteer to try and help people and to be fair um, he's had he's had a major major effect I think um, and the reason for being ground down is not totally, totally negative, as 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 Chris Chris Cook um, covered. It is to do with the type of cases that we now have to have to deal with. So the easy ones, like um, best odds guaranteed being taken away after 
a bet has won and rule fours and things. I think Paul has had a huge effect on um, uh, bookmakers no longer doing that, but that then means that the cases that we're dealing with have become much, much more complex. And to be fair, I'm lucky, I'm retired, um, uh, and I've got really more time to give, but I do feel his his frustrations and justice for punters will miss him massively. Paul, Paul Fairhead is a thoroughly, thoroughly decent man who has given his time for free for seven years and all I can do is wish him luck in the future. I, I want to um, ask you, Brian, culturally, what is the single biggest change that bookmakers could affect to make their relationship with punters better? Okay, um, one or two, that's a really good question because one of the, the few bookmakers that actually um, uh, do correspond with us, that is one of their major concerns that perhaps what Paul and myself and others have highlighted is this broken relationship. And I, and I think it's all to do with where we started from. It's all to do with fairness and transparency and and your starting point for that is terms and conditions um, and as people know um, when Sarah Harrison was still the CEO at the Gambling Commission there was a start of an investigation into the terms and conditions being used by um, online uh, online gambling companies and sadly that ceased when she when she left but we're all about transparency really which is if you're offering an entertainment product and a purely entertainment product, say that, you know, and if you're not willing to take bets of, of, of people um, who you feel may win, say that. And then it's, it's much, much clearer for the, for the customer that they know actually what they're entering into. So at the present moment in time, we are working with um, uh, one major operator and some medium-sized operators on potentially looking at a kite mark for, for terms and conditions. So that would be an assessment of, of what the major terms and conditions look like for each company. So that has to be the starting point. What are you actually offering? Um, and, and, you know, because at the present moment in time, and we see this all the time, um, ID has become a massive, massive thing. And yeah, people, as Paul said in his, in his article with Chris this week, people are betting in others' names. But that doesn't mean to say that, 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 that bookmakers have therefore got a right to catch everybody in that and a lot of that that is driven anyway by people not being able to get 10 pound bets and 20 pound bets um, because they've been they've been st um, stake restricted so i think it is an open discourse and we have really really tried yeah our our twitter account i have to admit is is a little bit more about stirring than anything else but in private, we have really tried. We met with the Association of British Bookmakers over five years ago. We've met with the Remote Gambling Association. We've met with the Gambling Commission many times. We've met with the DCMS many times. 
And all we ever talk about is fairness. <clears throat> and what we have at the present moment in time are companies who are allowed to to not trade with just about anybody who they think may win, but yet we've still got this situation where people can lose literally a hundred thousand without adequate adequate checks on ID and, and affordability. And we just need we need more discourse, but we have found um, and maybe that is partly my fault with the with the Twitter account, but we have found that getting into individual companies, and even now with the gambling commission, since Sarah Sarah left, I think we are seen as being a bit a bit too challenging, and it, and it's a fairly secretive world, um, gambling and regulation, and I feel a little bit having had a professional life for. A long, long time that you just if you rock the boat, you are unwelcome, and that is not the sign of a mature, of a mature uh, industry and regulation. Um, you should be open to discourse. You should be open to con constructive discourse in private at at all times, really, and and that is the best thing that the bookmaking industry can do. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.